thank you for worshiping with us. We'll continue to sing together again in just a minute, uh, but we're going to jump into God's word first. And we've used as kind of the, the springboard for the last three weeks, this one verse from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Verse number 13 of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. This morning, we're not just talking about love. We're really zeroing in on kind of the end of that verse that says, but the greatest of these is love. And what I want us to do for our time together this morning is, is ask and God willing answer the question, why is love the greatest? Why is love the greatest? In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse number 8, it says that love never ends. But faith doesn't end. I mean, faith endures. Like if our faith is in the right thing, it's never going to fail us. If our hope is in the right thing, it's never going to let us down. What, what makes love the greatest? And to help answer that question, what we're going to do is, again, spring forward from this text to another text. And so I want to invite you to grab your Bible. If you use that old paper Bible, like the for real old school thing, uh, then I encourage you to grab that this morning. If if what you usually use is the device that you're uh, watching on right now, then that's okay. I still want us to say our creed together before we dive in. Uh, I'm encouraging you to say it out loud together if you're with a family or if you're by yourself. I just think it helps us feel a little more connected. And yes, even y'all who are watching this at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, let's say this out loud together because I believe the enemy shudders in his boots every time we say this and mean it. So say this with me. The Bible is the word of God. The truth of the Bible will change my life. Lord, open my heart and awaken my mind and give me grace to respond. Change me for your glory and my joy. Amen. Thank you so much. We're going to be in First John chapter 4. First John chapter number four is where we're going to park this morning. And, and here's the deal. We're only going to start off by reading a handful of verses, but really our, our working text this morning is verses seven through the end of the chapter through verse 21. We're not going to take the time to read all of that uh, right now in, in this way, but here's the deal. If, if you've got tomorrow off because of the holiday or if the weather gets worse and you're not able to go to work, I encourage you to get up in the morning, get a cup of coffee, start a fire and sit down and just walk really slowly through these verses. Or maybe later this afternoon, um, take the time to read and maybe spend this week just kind of marinating in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through verse number 21. For the sake of, of beginning this morning, we'll just start off with verses 7 through 11. Which begin this way, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And so we see already we're beginning to answer this question, why is love the greatest? Because it comes from God. It's this manifestation that we've been born again by God. It's it's this um, putting into practice that we know who he is kind of this this outworking or this even evidence that that we know God and so already we're seeing why this is so important verse number 8 anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love we're going to read the rest of the text but then come back and really park there in verse number 8 for our first few moments together 
um, wise love the greatest. It's who God is. Verse number nine. In this, the love of God was made manifest or revealed or displayed or demonstrated or woke us up and we saw it among us. Here it is that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. There's a picture of love. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Hallelujah. That's a picture of love. So why is love the greatest? The first one is what we already read in verse number eight, because love is who God is. God is love. God so much possesses love. He so much uh, uh, is the existence of love or the essence of love or the identity of love that it's who he is. And, and this word there, it is, might just seem like an insignificant little two-letter word. But, you know, all of history changed with another little two-letter word, and that's the word am, which is just another form of is. It's the, the personal form. I would say he is, and he would say I am. This is the, the exact same word here that's used that we heard Jesus say himself. Seven times we read in the Gospel of John that Jesus declared, I am. And we believe in that declaration. Jesus is revealing that he indeed was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the flesh. That he was the Son of God living among us. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. I am the door. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. And Jesus said these things. Sometimes at a party, sometimes at a funeral, sometimes he said them in a in a big sermon where a big crowd was listening. And other times it seemed like there was only a handful of people. But in each of those declarations, when he said, I am. There were his 12 disciples hearing those words. And we know that within the 12 disciples, there was the three, right? Peter, James, and John, the ones who were the closest to Jesus. But even among the three, there was one. There was one that was the closest to Jesus. He was called the Beloved. He's the same one who just called us Beloved in his epistle, and that's John. John the Beloved, the one who was closest to Jesus and heard Jesus say, I am, now says to us, he is. He is love. God is love in the same way that he is God He's love, the authority in this, that he's the existence without limits. That's what I am means. There's no limitations. That he is love. You know, it's interesting. God doesn't have faith. We said that that part of the core definition, it was the first thing we discussed about faith three weeks ago, that faith is this belief in something we can't see. And there's no such thing in the economy of God. There's nothing he can't see. So he doesn't have faith. He has knowledge. And, and, and he doesn't have hope in the future because he lives outside of time. He's already there. And he's, he doesn't have hope as well because he's in control of the outcome. There's not a single outcome that he has to hope goes okay. So he doesn't have faith. And he doesn't have hope. But he is 
love. The reason that love is the greatest is because it literally is the, the, the existence of our great God. Here's the second reason that love is the greatest. Love produces faith and hope. Love is the gateway to faith and hope. It's the avenue to faith and hope. Without love, our faith couldn't be secure and our hope would not be confirmed. It's because of his love. There's a, a great collection of verses there in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 where we read, Faith, hope, and love. These remain. The grace of these is love. Verse number 7 tells us that love bears all things. And then it says this, Love believes all things. Has faith. Believes. And then it says love hopes all things. Well, love is the, the very undergirding for faith and hope. Because God has revealed his love to us, We trust him. And because he's revealed his love to us, we believe he will continue to do so. We have hope in him. Faith is what opens, or love rather, is what opens the door for faith and for hope. Look with me here in the text. We're going to read a few more verses together. Verses 14 through 17, back again in in 1 John chapter 4. Verse 14 says this. We have seen and testify that the Father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Hallelujah. Verse 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And look now at verse number 16. We have come to know and to believe, to have faith in, to trust the love that God has for us. And then he repeats this again. God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So there's our faith. Look at verse 17. By this is love perfected or matured with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. So we see hope is the source of our faith, and it's the source of our hope for that great day. Faith is is rooted in the fact that God is love. Hope is secure in the truth that God is love. Without God coming to the world and revealing his love to us, our faith would be utterly blind. And instead, we get to at least see his love, that he came to us. He came to us. A few weeks ago, several weeks ago, Uh, I heard this quote from C.S. Lewis that I just haven't been able to shake, and I've been excited about having a chance to share this with you. C.S. Lewis, the brilliant mind that he was, he wrote about what are the chances that Hamlet could ever meet Shakespeare? How could a, a character in a play ever meet the great author of the play? It's impossible, right? How can a make-believe character meet a for-real writer? How could Hamlet ever meet Shakespeare? And here's the answer. It's only possible if the author writes himself into the story. Hallelujah. C.S. Lewis said Hamlet could initiate nothing. And in the same way, we could initiate no righteousness of our own to earn or merit or deserve the love of God. He had to write himself into our busted up story, into our broken story, in order to reveal his love for us. 
And because God sent us into the world, because he's made his love manifest, we have the opportunity, the foundation to have faith and to have hope, to be saved and to persevere. And that's the thing. I'm not really going to trust somebody that I know doesn't love me. How do I have any, any faith that they're really out for my good? And I'm not going to have much hope in my future if the person who has authority over it isn't out for me. If you've got a manager that you believe can't stand you, you're not going to have a lot of hope of that job promotion that you applied for, right? Our faith and our hope are only as good as the reality of the love in which we place them. So why is love the greatest? Love's the greatest because it's who God is and because it's the gateway to saving faith and enduring hope. Here's the other reason that love is the greatest, because love has become our mission. Love has become our manifesto. Love has become our identity, our DNA, our calling card, our purpose on planet Earth. Because we've experienced love, it's now become our mission. We look back to our text, um, to the very end of the text that I encourage you to read later. Verse number 21, uh, at the end of the chapter, it says, This commandment that we have from him, whoever loves God, must also love his brother. Listen, because God's love has been manifested to the world, because he's come to be the Savior of the world, we now have a new identity, a new purpose, and that's to love him. And to love the people who bear his image. It's the same thing Jesus said. Jesus is asked, what's the, the greatest commandment of, of all the law, of, of all the commandments given? What's the greatest commandment? And Jesus says to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And to love your neighbor. Love God and love people. That's the, the great commandment. And it's in God's love for us that we're set free to be able to love him passionately. And to love people authentically and vulnerably. That is our calling card. God is the origin of our love and then he becomes the object of our love and then he becomes the overflow of our love to a hurting world. It's our mission. In this great commandment though, God does not just tell us to love God passionately and to love people. He tells us to love our neighbor as our selves to love people the way we love ourselves and that changes everything because the whole message of the modern world today of modern secular psychotherapy and of, of modern love songs and great movies is that we as a culture today seem obsessed with growing in our capacity to love ourselves but I love what Matt Chandler said. He said, the thrust of the New Testament is not to love yourself. It is to deny yourself and to die to yourself so that we can love God more passionately and love others more authentically. And in this, this, this focus, this, this consumption with loving ourselves better, we hear the heart of Jesus saying, I want to grow in you a greater capacity to love me and to love the people who bear my image. That is the mission of the people of God. That's the goal. That's where we're headed. And, and, and I don't mean that, that his desire is that we would hate ourselves. 
Listen, somebody who's super self-loathing and always talking about how they can't stand themselves and they're, they're always down on themselves, the common denominator is self. Life turned in on self, whether it's self-love or self-loathing, is still not loving. Jesus says, listen, man, I, I want to set you free from living for yourself to live for a greater thing, and that is the overflow of my love for you would experience the joy of loving me and loving people. That is the mission. That's why love's the greatest. Is It's now the definition of a win. So in the last few weeks, uh, I finally got to watch um, the, the Netflix episode, The Last Dance, about Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls of the 90s. And uh, we do not endorse the language used in that documentary, so be careful if you watch it. Um, it it's, it's rough, but it's real and it's raw. And, and I had just watched what, what Michael Jordan put his teammates through in order to win six championships, in order to be the greatest athlete of all time. And, and he's asked a question in that documentary, do you feel like you had to sacrifice being known as a nice guy? And he basically, all these years later, teared up and just said, if that was what it took to win, then it was worth it. And then last Sunday, we watched Tom Brady win his seventh Super Bowl. And, and, and my two oldest sons and I were having a conversation about the dozens and dozens and dozens of videos that they have seen on YouTube of Tom Brady straight up losing his mind at a teammate, screaming his head off at a, at a wide receiver who ran the wrong route or who dropped a ball, and, and he's just screaming at him. And, and they're talking to me about the question I was asked by one of my sons is, so is he just a terrible person or what? And the fact is, I think most people give him a pass because he's now won seven Super Bowls. And what we see in both of those athletes is it doesn't matter how you treat people as long as you're winning. And, and maybe the problem isn't that they're too focused on winning. Maybe the problem is not that their drive is too strong. Maybe it's the definition of winning is broken. What if the definition of winning for the people of God was that we loved people well and that we loved God faithfully? What if the definition of winning wasn't that people thought we were awesome, but they thought that the God who loves us is awesome? I love what Mark Batterson says frequently to his church. He says, if we're going to be great at something here, let's be great at the great commandment. <laughs> love God and love people. And, and here's the deal. My, my mission in life is not for us to have the biggest church in the universe and to be a celebrity and people to think, hey, you talk awesome. That, that is not the goal. The goal is that the people in the temple family would say, I have never been more convinced that I am loved by a glorious God. And I've never been convinced that I'm loved by other broken people more than I am here. And I want to go live that out and love that out to the hurting people around me. That's the definition of a win. That's the fulfillment of a calling. That is walking in our mission. And that's why love's the greatest. It's who God is. It's the very thing that fuels faith and hope. And it is for the people of God, our mission on planet Earth. And I think today that so desperately needs to be heard because in the last several months, we've seen a whole lot of stuff from people who claim to be followers of Jesus that just looks and sounds anything but loving. The fact is, Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 said, listen, you've heard it said, love those who love you, hate those who hate you, but I say to you, love your enemies. Bless them. 
serve them. And here's what I want to say to you today. I, I know that some of the the political rhetoric has has dialed down a little bit, but what we hear still is so ugly and divisive. And I just want to say this to you. Your political opponent is not your enemy in life. But even if they are, the command is the same. Love them. Doesn't mean agree with them. But we are command. Like when you look at Matthew chapter five, that command to love our enemies, it's in red letters. Like fell off the mouth of Jesus. Matthew chapter 21, the great commandment, love God, love people, red letters, fell off the mouth of Jesus. I recently heard Ben Stewart say to his congregation in Washington, D.C., he said, you are commanded to love Donald Trump. You could kind of hear this tension in the audience. And then he said, and you are commanded to love Nancy Pelosi. And if you're mad at me about one of those two realities, take it up with Jesus Because he's the one who said so. Like, I didn't make this up. This didn't come from some human. Jesus himself said the definition of how to love people is not found in loving easy people. It's in loving our enemies. And the reason we know that that's true is he did the same thing for us. Romans chapter 5 says that God demonstrated his love in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He died for us when we were at our worst. Not when he saw the best potential in us, not because of our best day, at our worst, in our capacity for the worst than the worst. He laid down his life in order to demonstrate love for us. And as the people of God, we now walk in that mandate. We now walk in that mission in the midst of a world that's as busted and as broken as we are. We're called to love people. And when we do that, we are living and loving like the God we say we've placed our faith in and who secures our hope. So there was a moment here in the state of Texas that went viral last week. Uh, There was a couple moments, actually, where we we made national news. Heartbreakingly was the tragic accident on I-35. But on a very very other far extreme was when uh, an attorney was using his assistant's laptop during a Zoom court hearing. She had the cat filter turned on on her laptop. And the judge calls the proceedings to order. And the attorney cannot figure out how to turn off the cat face. And it was funny for a lot of reasons. One is it's a court hearing. They're trying so hard to be formal and serious. And the one attorney up at the top seems so checked out and unamused that it makes it even more hilarious. If you haven't watched it when we're done, uh, you need to go Google that. It's pretty hysterical to watch. But there's this moment as this this hilarious moment is unfolding where the the cat attorney says to the judge, "We're, we're trying to figure out how to turn this off and we're prepared to proceed I am not a cat. <laughs> like, this isn't actually a talking cat, Your Honor. To which the judge kind of chuckles. He's like, I'm, I can see that. Thank you. I, I didn't actually think there was a talking cat on the screen. But here's the thing. When we love broken people authentically and genuinely, we're living with a God filter on. <laughs> we are not God. And we don't have it all together. And they're never going to think that we are. But for just a few minutes, that does look like him. It really does filter the reality for hurting people that they're experiencing, the God, not just who loves, 
but who is love. So I am not a cat, but I am called to live out the love of God in the midst of a hurting world. So why is love the greatest? Because it's who God is, because it is the pathway to saving faith and enduring hope. And because it's now our mission on planet Earth. Very briefly, here's the fourth reason that love is the greatest. Because love is eternal. Love is eternal. And and maybe you would think that doesn't sound super deep, but here's the deal. And I never thought of this before. I was introduced to this thought several months ago. And I just find it fascinating. Faith and hope are not eternal. Faith is temporary. As a matter of fact, if, if the definition of faith is it's in things unseen, we're told that one day our faith will be made sight. And the minute we see him for who he is, the minute we put on glorified eyeballs and see the glory of God, we won't need faith anymore. And guess what? We won't live in hope anymore because every one of our deepest hopes will be fulfilled on that great day. But love, love endures forever. Because forever and ever, we will experience God's love. Only this time, it won't be unbelievable. It won't seem too good to be true. And for and ever, ever and ever, we'll love Him. Only now, not imperfectly. Because I'll be honest with you, my biggest problem on planet Earth is love of self. My biggest problem is there is that there are times I don't love God more than I love me or my way or my illusion of control. My biggest problem with people, sometimes I love my agenda and my timeline more than I love them. Sometimes I love where I'm trying to get to more than how they're driving around me. Sometimes I love my sense of peace apart from their chaos. That's all love of self. There's coming a day where I'm finally going to be free from love of self. I'm finally going to see God's love for how good it really is, for how good he says so. And I'll finally be able to love him unbroken. And I'll be able to love people without any defense, without any self-protection. There's the day where finally love will be fulfilled, perfected. And it will endure forever. Our faith will become sight. Our hope will be fulfilled. But love will remain. Now last year, our, our New Year's communion service, I preached about faith, hope, and love. And I talked about looking backwards to see the faithfulness of God. That's what grows our faith. And because of that, we look forward and we have great hope. And what I said a year and a month ago is, in the meantime... We love God passionately, and we love people vulnerably and authentically. But the fact is, I, I think I had blinders on faith, hope, and love at that time, because love is not just an in the meantime. It's forever. It never ends, which is part of why love is the greatest. Three weeks ago, uh, I shared with you a little bit of the story of Nick Vujicic. I shared with you the that I believe a picture of faith is that he keeps a pair of shoes in his closet. Nick Vujicic was born with no legs. He was born with no arms. And yet he keeps a pair of shoes in his closet because he says, I have faith 
in a God who performs miracles. And as soon as I was reminded of his story, I thought, man, I got to use that on the week that we talk about faith. I've never talked about his story before, and so I want to make sure I include that on the faith week. But as I read more of, of this whole shoe in the closet thing, I then read what he said when he said, if God doesn't perform that miracle in this life, I have absolute confidence that I will have limbs in the next life. And as I'm reading, I went, oh my goodness, that's hope too. Like this, this guy is a, a living testimony of faith with his shoes in his closet and of hope that there's coming a day where he will have limbs. But then I read the rest of that quote. He said, I keep shoes in my closet because I have faith in a God who works miracles. And I believe if I don't get limbs in this life, I will in the next life. Well, that's hope. But then he said this. He said, my belief is, that, is if God won't give a physical miracle in my body, then my prayer is that God might perform a miracle through me into the life of somebody else who's hurting. Man, what a picture of love. And I don't know about you, I love the stories when we get a miracle. But living on the mission of love under the banner of the God who is love, walking in true faith in his love and hope in his love, frees us up to the vulnerability of saying, God, would you perform a miracle of love through me to hurting people? We don't see it a lot in the world. It's kind of what makes it miraculous. It's what makes it an incredible thing. And all of that begins by saving faith that his love is as good as he says, hope that it will endure, and then a life sold out to love him back and to love well the people who bear his image. Will you pray with me? Father, would you please grant us faith to truly believe that you love us as much as you say so. Father, would you grant us hope. Hope that you will continue to love us the way you say so. And in that faith and in that hope, Father, would you grow in us a capacity to love you more passionately and to love others more authentically and vulnerably and unconditionally just like we're loved. God, we believe that just like faith is a gift and just like hope is a gift, we're utterly convinced that your love for us is a total undeserved gift. Yet because you've given it so freely, we ask for more. We ask that you'd give us a greater capacity to love you and love others. So that just maybe you might perform a miracle through us to love a hurting world. We pray this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's continue to worship him together as we sing about his love that never fails, that remains.